Aloha and welcome to the New Hope Legacy Podcast Sermon of the Week. Today we have Pastor Trenton Johnson who will be sharing from God's Word. Please enjoy our Sunday service. Happy Sunday, everybody. I feel like I've just seen you somewhere before. Good to see you all here. Thank you to everybody joining us online. I, I mentioned last week, greeted everybody that was joining us online, and I said, you know, I don't know who you are, but glad you're here. And again this week, I don't know who you are, but I do know one more of you. I had uh, coffee with a gentleman this week that said, I was one of those guys online, and uh, I was listening when you said that. So we're glad that you're part of the family as well, but <laughs> happy Sunday. Good to see you all here. Um, The baptism this evening, just to reiterate that one more time, 4 p.m. tonight down at Pine Trees Beach. If you have not signed up for the baptism, it's not too late to do that. If you want to get baptized, we would love to include you in this. Um, The baptism is going to be at Pine Trees Beach. If you don't know where that is, drive north on the highway until you see Kona Mountain Coffee on the right-hand side, and then turn toward the ocean. Follow the signs all the way down for the uh, public beach access, and you'll see our A-frame signs set up down there. Going to have a good time. We'll tie people off with safety lines to the shore if we have to, but just pray that those waves don't get too big. All right, well, today we're continuing our series, Laws of the Harvest, that we've been going through these last few weeks. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've been learning. I've been learning some good stuff through this series. God's been talking to my heart and and, uh, giving me some wisdom for the journey through this series that we've been going through. Last week, we talked about margins and boundaries, not just doing the right work, but doing it the right way having the right approach in the work that we do. And we talked about the idea that margins make me abundant. When I have healthy margins in my life, then I can be abundant. I can be generous. I can, I can be a blessing in the life of others if I have the right margins built into my life. We talked a little bit about boundaries and the difference between my inheritance my influence, and my interests. And if you missed that one, if you want to maybe a refresher course on what boundaries are all about in the family of God and in our walk with Christ, go back and listen to last week on the podcast. Boundaries, they're important. What, what's, my, what's my inheritance? What are the things that I'm in control of but also responsible for? We have to understand these areas of our life. As we teach through this week, Now, this week, we're going to look at what we do with the harvest, and I encourage you to take notes as we go through. If you need a sermon outline, raise your hand. I know one of our ushers will be happy to get that to you. But there is something powerful about writing down the things that we learn. My brain leaks. I don't know about yours, but if I don't write things down, it's easy to go in one ear and out the other. If I write it down, there's something that solidifies it in my heart, and it can become a point of transformation in my life, not just information that I hear. We're going to be starting today in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. Boot up your Bible app. If you need to check your notifications, this is a great time to do it. Nobody will know the difference. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 10, says this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is the harvest that God is bringing into our life. Then keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians. We're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 6. 
starting in verse 33, Matthew chapter 6, actually starting in verse 30, verses 30 to 33, starting in verse 30 says this, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And I have to insert here and say, O me of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I just touched briefly on the idea of generosity and giving. And in this idea that sometimes we have a wrong perspective on the harvest that God brings into our life, a lot of us have been taught that giving equals planting. And I gave a little bit of pushback on the idea because the Word of God teaches that we plant and we cultivate and then we harvest and then from the harvest that God gives us, that's what we give from out of the abundance of what God gives us. It's, it's not in order to reap a harvest, that's what the planting is for. But once we have planted and cultivated and then harvested a good harvest in our life, then we have something to give from. You can't pour out of an empty vessel, as one of my mentors is fond of saying. You can't pour out of an empty vessel. So there's, there's this cycle that we go through that culminates in thanksgiving to God and what we give from our abundance. Giving and planting are related. They sort of overlap in areas, but they're not the same thing. Then we spent a couple of weeks talking about the planting and, and uh, the cultivating process. How do we improve the soil? And today we're going to talk about how to use the harvest. Once you have a harvest that you have reaped in your life, how do you use the harvest? There's one thing that I know about farmers. It's that they don't plant a crop. They don't raise animals. They don't do all this hard work just for it to look pretty. That's the difference between farming and landscaping. Landscaping, you may put a lot of work in for it to look nice. Farming, there's a purpose. There's something that we're going to do with the harvest that we have. I heard a story recently about a young man from the city that was on a drive through the countryside to go visit his grandmother. And as he's driving along, he got turned around on the backcountry roads and couldn't figure out which way he's supposed to be going. So finally, he stopped at this small farmhouse and asked the farmer for directions. And he pulls up in his convertible and sees the farmer out there working. He stops and begins to chat with the farmer. And as they're chatting, he, he looks over and he sees these pigs running around. And one of the pigs only has three legs. And he, he was just sort of curious, you know, what, what's up with that? He asked the farmer, what, okay, you got all these other pigs, but what happened to the dude with three legs there? And the farmer just got, sort of got this faraway look in his eye. He goes, oh, that, that's a special pig right there. That, that pig is near and dear to my heart. I'll tell you, that pig is something else. He said, last year, my wife and children were asleep in our house. I was out working in the field. My wife and children were asleep as I was out doing the early morning work, and Something happened and our house caught on fire. There was this electric fire that broke out. Wife's asleep. She didn't know what happened. But the pig was down here in the farmyard and he realized something was wrong. And, and you know, he's been a good friend of my children ever since he was a young piglet. So that pig actually went in the house and, and got up and, and sort of rattled the bed where my wife was until she woke up and was able to get the kids out and save them from the fire. That pig saved my family. And this... this uh, boy from the city is just looking in awe. I didn't even know pigs were smart enough to do that. He said, well, man, that's, that's amazing. I'm just, man, it's sad he lost his leg in the fire. And 
The farmer looked up. He goes, oh, no, no, no. He didn't lose his leg in the fire. He said, a pig that special, you don't eat all at once. <laughs> Farmers don't raise the crop. They don't raise animals just for the fun of it. The harvest is there to be used. It's there to be put to use in our life. Today, the big idea is that the master's harvest must be put to work. The master's harvest must be put to work. After the planting, after the cultivating and the growing and the harvesting is all done, we have a harvest. We've got to do something with the harvest because a harvest left sitting out in the field doesn't profit anyone, doesn't benefit anybody. In fact, a harvest that's left out in the field is wasted. It loses its value. It becomes no good to anyone if it's left sitting in the field. Some people work very hard to obtain a harvest and don't have a good plan for what they're going to do with it. I was watching my boys recently on a hike. We enjoy getting out in the woods and doing guy stuff out there and, you know, cutting our fingers with pocket knives and things. We were out there hiking through the woods, and I see my youngest bending down every now and then. He's got his little backpack on. He kept, he kept bending down and stuffing things in his pockets and putting them in his backpack. And I stopped and said, buddy, what are you doing? He goes, daddy, it's rocks. It's rocks, dad. And I looked at his collection. He had some nice lava rock. I mean, you've never seen such good lava rock in all your life. And we got to the end of the hike. He starts emptying his pockets out. He's just got rocks coming out in piles from all over him. I said, buddy, what are you going to do with those? He just kind of got this funny look on his face. I don't know. He goes and puts them back in his pockets and we go on. He carried them the whole way there, all the way to the end of the trail. He had a fantastic harvest that he had cultivated in his pockets, a harvest of lava rock. No plan for what was going to happen with it. It's the story of some lives that I know. What are we going to do with the harvest in our life? Thought number one for you today, if you're taking notes, God gives me a harvest to provide for my family's needs. Now, I warned you a few weeks ago, we're, we're not going to get too deep in this. It's going to be a little bit simple, but sometimes the simplest things are the most profound. God gives me a harvest to provide for my family's needs. He's given me a harvest to meet the needs of my family. We read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now we have this misconception sometimes in our world that work was part of the curse. Have you ever had met somebody that had that kind of an idea? If it hadn't been for Adam and Eve, we wouldn't have to work today. That's wrong. We were created to work. We were created to cultivate a garden, to, to produce something of value. Now, part of the curse was that that work was going to get a whole lot more difficult, but work isn't the curse. God told Adam to tend the garden, and God had created the garden for the purpose of providing for Adam and for his family. The work that he had created Adam to do was to provide the things that Adam and his family were going to need. The same is true today. Wherever God has purposed you to live and to work, whatever the gifts are, whatever the abilities that he's put in your life, he has put those things in your life. He's given you those opportunities in order to cultivate the harvest that you need so that you can contribute value to the world around you and so that you can receive the value that you need to provide for your family. Work is not evil. It's not unspiritual. In fact, it's one of the most spiritual things that we can do when we do it with a godly heart. Now, God's word teaches that 
we're to work for the harvest that we need and that we're also to be generous. We like to quote scriptures like the one that we just read a little bit ago, um, that we're to seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. We're, we're to um, you know, give and it will be given and God loves a, a cheerful giver and so forth. We, we talk a lot about generosity and giving, but we don't always succeed at teaching balance and wisdom in that process. God gave us a harvest to provide for the needs of our house. And this isn't just for the men. I don't know if you knew this, but no matter what your cultural understandings are, or maybe the gender norms in your home of, of who brings home the bacon, you may be a one-income or two-income family, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you're a career mom, maybe I'm even talking to Mr. Mom today, who knows? If you were put on this earth and given abilities by God, which you were, then you were given those things in order to provide a harvest and to bless your home and your family. I'll give you a couple of examples from Scripture. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ouch. Okay, but that's just at the guys. Well, maybe, sort of. How about if we turn to Proverbs 14.1? The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Get out your tool belt, ladies. Time for some construction work. Every single one of us that God has created and put on this earth was put here in order to contribute value to the world around us and to reap a harvest that contributes to the needs of our family somewhere, somehow. I don't know what that looks like in your life. That's between you and God. But somewhere you were created to sow and to cultivate and to grow and to reap a harvest to provide for the needs of your family. Can't underestimate the importance of this. Now, this is an area where I've dropped the ball in the past. I mentioned that sometimes we don't teach the balance between the, the harvest and providing for our families and generosity. This is an area where I've dropped the ball in the past. I've become so focused on the needs of others. I've been so, so outwardly focused on other things around me, sometimes even church things, that I've missed the needs of my family. This is where we can get into the, the tension between uh, selfishness or toxic servanthood. There's sort of a swing of the pendulum that can happen there. And church is often fond of saying that you were created to serve. You were. I was too. Every single one of us were created to serve. First God, then my family, then the family of God, and then the world around us. See, there's a balance in this harvest there's a balance in how we use the harvest that we reap. And we've got to understand these distinctions and draw some healthy boundaries if we're going to profit and benefit from the harvest the way that God wants us to. If you don't know what those boundaries are supposed to look like, maybe start by going back and listening to last week. Again, this was something we touched on. But if all we hear is give, 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 then we probably won't learn to walk in wisdom. My youngest son is three years old. We're trying really hard right now to teach him how to share his toys. Has anybody else dealt with that struggle in your house? If you figured it out, please let me know because we're right in the middle of the battle right now. But here's something that we believe in our home is that our kids need to learn some decision-making authority so that they learn to interact with the world around them. If you're not able to say no, that's not the same thing as choosing to say yes. Say that again. If you're not able to say no, that's not the same thing as choosing 
to say yes. And so we teach our son to share. If he's playing with his friends and the ball is his ball, my ball, you can't play with it, then we're going to talk about sharing. But we also give him the ability to choose to a degree how much he shares and what he shares because he has to learn that process for himself. In my life, I had to learn the ability to say no in order to learn how to say yes in the right way at the right time. We've got to learn this balance. Providing for your family is taught throughout Scripture. If you're living by God's principles, if you're living according to his word, then you should be seeing, you should be receiving the blessing of God in your life to benefit your family from the harvest that you reap. This is how it's supposed to work. And we don't only have permission to do this, this is a God-given responsibility that each one of us carries. Generosity is good, but generosity at the expense of your family's health is no bueno. And that's the extent of my Spanish for today. We got to get this thing right. In fact, Jesus had some pretty harsh words to say towards those who got this, this very fine detail wrong. In Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 9, Jesus is talking to the group of people in front of him. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's, that's sort of drastic. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that word means given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. In other words, some of the people that he was talking to had the financial ability to take care of their aging parents. They had the harvest in their life that was supposed to be used to take care of their father and mother. But they decided to be super spiritual and dedicate that money to God. Oh, sorry, Mom. It's, it's uh, you know, going to be just the most basic necessities and oatmeal three times a day for you because... I've got a really holy purpose for my money. It's I'm being generous. I'm honoring God with this. Well, no, you're not honoring God because God said this is what you're to use that harvest for. Honor your father and mother. If your generosity is costing you the ability to take care of your children, if your children are still living at home, there is a distinction there, then you're not stewarding the, the harvest in the right way in your life. Don't let the things that you claim to be service for Christ stop you from doing the things that Christ told you to do with the harvest in your life. Don't violate the responsibilities that God's given you. The second thing that we do with the harvest, thought number two if you're taking notes, God gives me a harvest to provide for the body of Christ. There are these concentric circles, if you will, of giving and of blessing. If you drop a stone in a body of water, if you go down to the beach and drop a rock in a tide pool, eventually those ripples go out and affect every part of the water. They may be small enough you can't really see them at the end, but eventually that, that impact will affect the farthest reaches of that pool of water. But it affects the things near it before it affects the things far from it. In Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7, Scripture says this, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
Now catch this. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I want to call your attention to two phrases there in specific. As we have opportunity means I'm not trying to give what I don't have. I'm giving from the harvest that I have in my life and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Once your family is taken care of and their needs are met, then we get to look at the next circle outward. Who's the body of Christ around us? Who's the family of God, the people walking in community and in relationship with us? Who is, who is around us as the household of faith? Now, church is not a country club. If you, if you came here today thinking that you were arriving at Kona Country Club, I'm really sorry. It's an awesome place. This just isn't it. There are little ways on down the road. We'll help you, help you find it if you need it. Church is not a country club. We don't show up and pay our dues and then just sit back and kick back in an easy chair and enjoy the benefits, the luxuries of membership. That's not how church family works. There's responsibility for each family member, just like in our earthly families. I don't know what it looks like in your family when you get home from Safeway, but in our family, we park the car, we open the back, and then say, everybody out and carry something to the house, please. Because everybody has a responsibility. Everybody has a role to play. In our home, people have chores. Yes, I use the C word in church. It's terrible. Chores, they're not unspiritual. In our home, every single member has responsibility. For Kanoa, our three-year-old, his chores are to pick up the toys off the floor or at least some of them. That's his chores. For my older son, Kavika, he, he takes out the trash. He helps clean the bathroom, sometimes even do the dishes. There's responsibility appropriate to his age, appropriate to his ability. For my wife, her responsibility is to find the ketchup in the fridge when I can't. And it's amazing. It's like magic. I go there. There's an empty shelf that I've just looked at. And she goes to that empty shelf and reaches out her hand and the ketchup just materializes right there under her hand. It's, it's miraculous. It's the gifts of the spirit at work. I don't know. My job is to open the pickle jars, get things down off the high shelf. Every one of us has responsibility according to our capacity in the family. Every one of us has a different degree of responsibility, but every single member of the family has responsibility in a healthy family. What does this look like in the family of God, in the church? It means every single one of us have the responsibility of relationship, to be there, to be present for each other, to care about each other, to show love, to, to know what's happening in the life of those around us. If somebody next to you is hurting, we need to know about that. Let's care enough about each other to reach out in relationship. In fact, one of our core values is the value of personal relationship. It's that important. Every one of us in the family has the responsibility of staying healthy. Did you know that? If you're in the family, you have a responsibility to keep yourself healthy to the best of your ability, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of the family around you. Some of our core values here at New Hope Legacy are genuine growth and accountability. We each have the responsibility to keep our heart healthy before God, not just for our own well-being, but for the family around us, because I can't pour out of an empty vessel. Every one of us in the family has a responsibility of contributing. Angela touched on this just a few minutes ago during announcements. We have a little saying here at New Hope that we talk about giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure. 
And if you can think of anything else that starts with T, I'm open to suggestions. But those are the three main ones, time, talent, and treasure. This isn't a sermon on tithing, but we're going to spend just a little bit talking about it. But every one of us has a responsibility to contribute something to the family. God's Word teaches us to use our time to contribute to the family. He teaches us to use our talents, our gifts and abilities to contribute to the family. And he teaches us to use our treasure, our money, to contribute. According to scripture, tithing by dictionary definition is 10%. Now, like I said, this isn't a sermon on tithing, but we're going to touch on it briefly. Tithing, the dictionary definition is 10% of our increase. The scripture teaches this consistently as a way of giving consistently and intentionally to support the family of God. It's a way of supporting the place where we gather to learn God's word, to support those that we gather around. It's a way of pooling our resources to more effectively meet needs and fulfill our mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But did you know that tithing is really only the starting point for the giving that God's word teaches? Did you know that? If you read through the Old Testament, tithing is talked about quite a bit more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. But there were different tithes that they were asked to give. There were different purposes, different uses for the various tithes that they gave. And then there were also offerings that they gave on top of that. God has given each one of us a harvest to intentionally bless the family of God. I was in a conversation with someone just recently, and they said, well, I don't pay tithes to the church. I, I just look for needs around me and, and give as you know, God puts it on my heart to specific needs. I'm glad about that. That's amazing. Don't stop doing that. But the problem is you're only seeing half the picture if that's what you're doing. Because here's the thing. If I go home to my wife at the end of the day and I say, honey, I know you needed me to stop by Costco. And, and I actually did that. I, I got the eggs and I got the bread and everything. But, but I just, I don't feel like I'm, I just don't feel like bringing home groceries to the family anymore. I'm just going to give groceries towards needs as I see them. And I saw somebody on the way home needed some groceries, so we, we don't have dinner tonight, but, you know, I'm just going to give as I see needs, and I think that'll be good. I hope y'all will visit me in the emergency room the following week if I go home and say that. It's not going to go over well because I have a responsibility to my family. Now, it's appropriate that I meet needs as I see them, and as I'm able to, I try to do that. I pray for opportunities to see needs, and I pray for the ability to be able to meet them. But I have a responsibility to intentionally contribute to my family. If you benefit from the ministry of your local church, if you're learning and growing spiritually, if you're growing in God, if, if you're seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ impacting the community around you and changing not only your heart but others, why would you not want to contribute toward that thing? Each member has a responsibility to the whole family. And I'm proud to say that this church family is one of the most generous and giving church families that I've ever known. I am proud to call myself a member of this church family. God's plan is for the body of Christ to care for the body of Christ through the harvest that he brings into our life. Not just for our own benefit as a church family, but as a testimony to the world. Scripture doesn't tell us to flaunt our love for each other and, and try to make others jealous. But Scripture does say that we should be loving and caring for each other in such a way that the world looks at it and says, I don't know what that is, but I want to be part of that. 
Thought number three for you, if you're taking notes. God gives me a harvest to share his love with others. This is the third area where we use the harvest, is engaging with the mission of the gospel. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Where is that overflowing? In the outward abundance of the blessing that we're able to bless others with, not only meeting the needs of the saints. The harvest that God gives us is intended to help draw others to the Lord of the harvest. Our mission here at New Hope Legacy is to draw others into relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we do that? By giving out of the abundance of the harvest that he gives us, not just financially. That can be in relationship. It can be in time spent with people. It can be in many different ways. But somewhere in our lives, there's a harvest that God has given us to reach outward and bless others and bring them into relationship with the Lord of the harvest. Why is that? Because there's a larger harvest taking place. There's a harvest of eternal souls. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus told his followers to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. There's a larger harvest at work here. There's an eternity at stake. And we've each been given responsibility over a small portion of harvest in our own life so that we can be part of the larger harvest that is happening. We each have responsibility in that larger plan. At New Hope Legacy, we work hard to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We work hard to, to do things right and to do things effectively. And I'm proud to be part of a church family that gives abundantly and generously for the mission of the gospel. This church family has impacted places around the world that you may never even hear of openly. Families that have been directly impacted, countries that have been impacted by the gospel, opportunities that we've been able to interact with because of the generosity of this church family. And right here in Kona, I'm proud to say that I'm watching the gospel of Jesus Christ make a difference. One of the examples is through Care Hawaii the Women's Domestic Violence Shelter, some other groups that we partner with, reaching outward into some of the most broken and most, most painful parts of the community to make a difference with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But everything that we do is connected to a soul. Everything from the worship here on Sunday morning to the live stream, the coffee and donuts that we enjoy out in the Ohana room. Can we get a hand for the hospitality team? Thank you, Lord, for coffee and donuts. Our men's and women's ministry, our community outreaches, our, our treehouse kids ministry, every single thing that we do as a church family is connected to a soul. And this is the criteria that we use as a church family is that if we can't connect it to a soul, we don't do that thing. Because our mission is to be part of that larger harvest of souls in eternity. It's expressed in many different ways, but our one goal is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that lives are transformed and souls saved for eternity. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We just read it a few minutes ago. Matthew 6, 33 says this. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you've spent any time in church, then you're probably going to notice that there are, there are some buzzwords and phrases that we use often without defining very frequently. And we, we try not to do that too often here, but sometimes we still do. Kingdom of God is one of those phrases that we don't always spend a lot of time talking about what it actually means. And the result is that a lot of people have this idea that the kingdom of God equals the church. Anybody ever thought that before? I've thought that before in my life. We equate the kingdom of God with the church. But, but scripturally, what is the kingdom of God? Well, let's start by defining the word kingdom. The, a kingdom, just in general, is the things over which a king rules. It's the things over which he exercises authority. See, the king of Denmark, his kingdom doesn't include New York because he's not the king there. He's the king of Denmark. That's his kingdom. The kingdom of the king of England doesn't include Japan. He doesn't have any authority there. That's not part of his kingdom. So what is the kingdom of God? It's everything over which he reigns supreme as the Lord. God's word says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, all these necessities of life will be added to you. The harvest that you need will be added when you seek first the kingdom of God. It's not the same as the church. It includes the church, but it's not the same. We can't just give our time and talent and treasure to a church family and think that we're seeking first the kingdom of God. I've done that before. I've slipped into that trap. And here's the problem is when I look at the church and I say that's the kingdom of God and I'm going to get my priorities messed up and I'm going to start putting my family on the back burner because I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, you know what that implies? Is that my family is not part of the kingdom of God. I've just removed my family from God's authority. If I'm putting my marriage on the back burner because I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, what have I just done? I've removed my marriage from God's authority. If I say that, that I can't properly balance my budget or pay my bills or do the things that I need to financially because I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, what have I just done? I've removed my bank account from God's authority. When I seek first the kingdom of God, that means in every aspect of my life that I'm choosing to make him the Lord of that thing and then I can expect to reap the harvest that I need to reap to do the things that God's called me to do. What would happen if we changed that around? What would happen if we sought first the kingdom in our marriages? Sorry, I've got a fly buzzing around me. What would happen if we sought first the kingdom of God in our marriages? We would reap a kingdom harvest in our marriage. We would see those things added that we need. What would happen if I sought the kingdom of God in my job? I would begin to see a kingdom harvest in my career. What would happen if I sought first the kingdom of God in my relationships? I would begin to see a kingdom harvest in my relationships. Same with my finances. What if we sought first the kingdom of God in this church family? We would see a kingdom harvest in this church family. What about in our community? We could see the Lord of the harvest bring the harvest that he wants to pour out on every aspect of our life if we seek first the kingdom. 
But we got to understand how to use the harvest and how we honor the Lord of the harvest in our lives. I encourage you today to ask this question, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me today? There's some risk involved in giving. There's some risk, in, risk involved in generosity. And I've met people that, that are hesitant to get involved because they don't know if they can trust. And so I've met people to say, well, I don't know if I can trust the church to be good stewards. And so I'm not going to entrust my generosity to the church. There's risk involved. I've met people that say, you know what, I'm only going to give my money to the church because I don't want to take the risk of letting people know that I have some financial resource that I can bless people with. I don't want them to begin coming to me and asking for help. There's some risk involved when we get our hands messy and begin to bless people. No matter how you do it, there is risk involved in generosity, but it's taught by the word of God. It honors God when we live a generous and abundant life. Maybe God is challenging somebody here today to take the risk of being able to share your harvest with those around you. Maybe there's an area of your life that you've just realized you've sort of removed from the authority of the king. You've, you've been seeking first the kingdom in some specific areas and maybe God has shown you some areas of your life that are not yet part of God's kingdom. You've not yet submitted those things to his authority. It's time to seek first the kingdom in those areas of your life. Maybe your priorities have been wrong somewhere. If you've been sacrificing your family for the kingdom of God, it doesn't honor God. If you've been living with a poverty mindset, unwilling to let God's blessing flow through you to impact others, it doesn't honor God. It's not seeking first the kingdom. It's not living with the abundant life that he wants you to live with so that the world can be impacted with his good news. I want to challenge you today to begin to live the generous life that God called you to live. Within your ability, with the harvest that he's given you, you can't give what you don't have. You can't pour out of an empty vessel. But somewhere, somehow in your life, God has given you more than what you need so that you can bless somebody around you and bring them into relationship with the Lord of the harvest. Can we pray together? Lord, thank you for the harvest that you've brought into each of our lives. Thank you for the wisdom that we see in your word to be able to plant the things that we want to reap a harvest of, the things that you want to see a harvest in our life. Thank you for wisdom to cultivate those things and help us to never forget that you are the one that brings growth. We do our part. We do the things that we know to do, but you're the one who brings growth. And so we trust you today to bring growth in the areas of our life that we need to see growth in, whether that be financially or in relationships in wisdom, in career, whatever those things are, Lord, we trust you to bring the growth that you desire to see in our life. And Lord, I ask you today to give us the courage to be generous with the harvest that you've entrusted to us because there's a purpose for the, the harvest of the Lord. Help us to walk with wisdom in providing for our families, to not put our families on the back burner or lower priority. But at the same time, Lord, give us the courage, I pray, to look for that abundance in our lives that when our families are taken care of, that we can reach outward to others with generosity, that we can be a blessing to the family of God, that we can be community and walk in relationship the way that you intended. And Lord, help us to trust you to bless us even beyond that, that we can reach outward to our community to impact somebody's life this week with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
so that another soul would be brought into the kingdom of God. I thank you for it. And today we acknowledge you as our king. Bring us back safely next week. I pray to continue learning and growing in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need prayer, our prayer team is going to be down at the front. God bless. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Sermon of the Week. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the New Hope Legacy. Also, if you would like to sign up for any of the newsletters or the soap journaling, go ahead and head over to www.newhopelegacy.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Aloha. Aloha.